Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm happy you joined us in our episode today on This Week in the Word. We've been in a series, in fact, we are concluding it with this episode today, and the series is entitled The Great Rapture Debate. Today's episode I'm calling Living Rapture Ready. And if you'd like to turn in your New Testament to the book of 2 Thessalonians, that's uh, one of Paul's letters about midway through the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians, and we'll be in chapter 3 today. Well, as we find our places in the scripture there in 2 Thessalonians, I want to share with you something that happened uh, hundreds of years ago, a couple hundred years ago, I guess. I hadn't figured out how long ago. <laughs> but 1843 and 1844, there were a group of uh, Christians, we'll, we'll call them, we'll say they were, not debating that, but they were called the Millerites, and they were very interested in the doctrines of the second coming of Christ. Well, their leader taught them that the rapture of the church, the return of Christ for the church was imminent, so imminent that he basically set a date. People sold everything they had. They clothed themselves in white robes. Many climbed atop the roofs of their homes and awaited the return of Christ. Well, the time came and went, and they were greatly disappointed. In fact, that event was called the Great Disappointment. Now, I'm not making fun of them. I'll give them an A-plus for expectancy on the return of Christ. But if they had paid more close attention to this particular chapter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, they probably would not have sold everything they had, put on white robes, and sat on top of their house. And you'll see why I say that as we move forward. Now, for many of us who are fairly informed about prophetic events, we see clearly that the world at large is simply coming apart. It's coming apart. It's falling apart. And yet, as we view prophetic truth, we believe that though the world may be falling apart, as one Bible teacher has said, that means it's falling into place. That is that uh, prophetic things that are, that are prophesied to happen, trends that we would be able to observe, and events that would occur after that. We, we can just see, like I said in last week's episode, the table is being set. When I'm waiting on my wife to finish cooking Thanksgiving meal or Christmas meal, I might, not, I might not see the meal on the table yet, but I can see that the table is being set and I can smell the wonderful aromas of the uh, uh, things cooking in the kitchen. Well, a similar example to that might simply be this, that Although I cannot see the marching band in the parade yet, I can hear their music coming around the corner. And I think that's where we are. So when we talk about the rapture of the church, we're not trying to set a date. 
but I think we can see the table is being set and we can hear the music of the marching band, although we have not seen the band yet. But as we go through this and we conclude the Great Rapture Debate series today on This Week in the Word, in the episode today, Living Rapture Ready, I think you'll see that we're not to sell everything we have, sit on top of the roof and wait on the Lord to come. But we are to do two things specifically, and that's what we're going to major on today. So let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and begin in verse 1, the start of the chapter. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. So the number one thing that we should do that's mentioned here as we are living rapture ready is we should be characterized as believers in Christ by a patient endurance. Now in verse 1, Paul says that he wants the prayers of the Thessalonian believers. What? The great apostle Paul wants people to to pray for him? Absolutely. I hope that if you're a regular listener to This Week in the Word, that as you listen, you pray for me. I need your prayers in order to continue to do what I do. Paul needed the prayers and the support and the well wishes of believers in his apostolic ministry. Now, he has a specific thing that he's praying for, and I would ask you to pray this same thing for me. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course, and that means to to spread rapidly. And I want you to pray that for me, that as we do this podcast every week, that the people that the Lord would have to hear it and listen to it would find out about it and and they would share it with others, and that people who need encouragement as Christians, and people who are not even Christians yet, might hear this podcast, more importantly, hear the Word of God in this podcast, be encouraged to grow in their faith, and the lost to be saved. So finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So this is how the Thessalonian church responded to the word of God. When Paul brought it to them, they welcomed it. They were saved by Christ. They grew in their faith and they spread it abroad to the regions around them. And he said in verse two, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. I would ask the same thing. There are people, if they were aware of this podcast, would seek to shut it down. There are those who would oppose this in every way possible. And the reason is they're not part of the household of faith. 
they're not Christians. They might even be religious. They may even be Christians, so to speak. That is, carry, carry the label of Christian, and yet they are against biblical doctrine. So you could pray that for me as well. But Paul asked the Thessalonian church to pray for him that he might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. And the reason is, for all men have not faith. There, there are a lot of people who are not a part of the family of God who are opposing the apostle Paul. He had even been beaten and jailed to this point when he wrote this. And then he says in verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. You know, yeah, there's a lot of people who are not part of the faith, but the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. You know, that comforts my heart. How about you? If you're a Christian today and you look around at this world, which is simply coming apart at the seams, the world is simply going nuts. It absolutely is going nuts. As somebody said a while back, common sense is not that common anymore. And that's for sure. But you know what? The Lord is faithful. He can always be depended on. As I think about the fact that people can, can try to harm us and per persecute us and oppose us, it does my heart good to know that the Lord is faithful. He will establish me and He will keep me from evil and he will keep you from evil that word keep there means guard he will he will himself guard us from evil men and also from the evil one that being satan and of course satan works through people so as we get closer and closer and closer to the return of christ just as a a mother uh, about to give birth has labor pains that increase in intensity and and closer together. But, you know, as we go through world history and it gets harder and harder to be a Christian, hey, the Lord's with us. Amen? <laughs> he's with us and he's coming for us. I love that. Verse four, and we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. You know, that is a great thing to be said about somebody, that they have that, that ability to be taught what the Lord says in his word, and they just, they don't argue with it, they don't analyze it, they don't try to understand it, they just do it. Just do it already. You know, if it's tithing, tithe. If it's witnessing, Tell people about Jesus. If it's reading the Bible, just read it. Don't go looking for 800 Bible reading plans. Just do it already. And you'll be surprised what the Lord does in your heart and your life. So he's, he's excited about how they've grown in the Lord. And I'm excited for those of you who are believers, how you are growing in the Lord. And I believe there are some of you listening right now who are not yet Christians, but you're right on the verge of giving your life to Christ, placing your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And that is exciting to me. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. But I mentioned a moment ago that the one of the things that we should do, there are two things we're going to major on right here in 
Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3 about living rapture ready. Number one is we are to have a patient endurance. And here it is in verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. That's that agape, sacrificial, God kind of love. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. This is a patient endurance. The Greek word hupomone means to get under a heavy load and bear it up. Just stay under holding that load. If you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, the movie version of the life of William Wallace, the great patriot hero of Scotland, (laughs) Braveheart he's called. In one of the battle scenes when the the enemy is bearing down on his ragtag group of warriors. I mean, it looks like they're going to be annihilated. And William Wallace is out in the front saying, hold, hold. That's what we're to do. Not cut and run in the face of warfare, but to hold our position because Christ is helping us do that. We are patiently enduring, holding up under the load. It is a spiritual attitude that we're to have. Notice here that nowhere is it mentioned that in waiting for Christ, we're to sell everything we have and climb on top of a roof in a white robe and wait on him. In fact, the opposite will be said here in just a moment. So, That's to be our spiritual attitude, one of patient endurance. We are characterized by by waiting on the return of Christ with endurance. Now, by the way, for those of you who get all tied up in details, some of you, maybe you're not a Christian today and you're listening, or you're, you're a Christian, but you need to do a lot of growing. Maybe you're saying right now, but the church has been waiting 2,000 years I mean, how long do we wait anyway? Here's what I would say to you. We as created beings are, while we live on this earth, we are trapped within the construct called time. But God created time. God is the creator and he is not captive to it nor trapped within it. He is above it and beyond it. So when the Lord says his coming is imminent, I mean, to us, where we mark uh, seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and decades and centuries and so on, it seems like forever. But actually, he just left and he's about to come right back. Now, I want you to ponder that the rest of the day before you argue anymore about the imminency of the return of Christ. Your God is too small. If we, if we really understand how great and above and other God is compared to us, we won't argue and, and quibble about uh, times and all of that. The Lord is about to return. And when we have things that Christ himself told us about occurring around us, like I heard this week that there are literally actually locust plagues that are being described by secular people as being of biblical proportions. 
in parts of Africa, uh, when we see the the beast of the earth, which, which can include, by the way, viruses. Now think about what I'm saying. Christ uh, said that this would be one of the signs spreading around the world. When we see uh, people in panic from what they see coming upon the world, when we can see so many other things I've mentioned already in this brief series happening, you know, almost on a daily basis, weekly basis, certainly monthly, we see things happening. We're saying, man, that, that just reminds me of things I've seen in the Bible about what the last days will be like. Well, I don't think they're here yet. And Paul corrected that error the Thessalonians had fallen into. He said, that, you know, you're not in the, the tribulation period. You're not in that. In fact, you'll be delivered from that because we do not face the wrath of God as the church, the bride of Christ. The wrath of God was taken for us by Christ on the cross. So anyway, as we see all of that happening and we think the world is falling apart, as one Bible teacher has said, it's actually falling into place, just as predicted. And a very good rule of interpreting Bible prophecy for the future is that it will be fulfilled literally. Are you kidding, Brother Ed? All of these things are metaphors and symbols, and no, they're not. Some of it may be presented in symbolic form, but if you're even a little bit familiar with Bible prophecy, it is fulfilled literally. Let that sink in. Now, Not only are we, as we're waiting for Christ, to be characterized by a patient endurance in living rapture-ready, believing that it could come at any moment, I believe that, but secondly, we are to be characterized, uh, you're not going to be ready for this, I know you're not, this is going to blow your mind. We're, We're to be characterized by productive employment. What? What happened to climbing on roofs with white robes, selling everything we have and waiting on the return of Christ? Well, we're not told to do that right here, are we? We're told to have a patient endurance, a spiritual attitude, and we're told to have productive employment, which is practical action. Have you ever heard of somebody, uh, it being said of somebody maybe that you know, maybe of you, I hope not, that the person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever heard that? Well, I hope that's never said of you nor of me because that's unbiblical. I'm very heavenly minded, but I'm also productively employed. I have a great spiritual attitude most of the time, (laughs) but I also am characterized by practical action. Now, to be fair, There are some people who know me pretty well who think I should be hospitalized because of my work ethic. Well, hello, I'm working so hard because other people are taking it easy. And if you're like me, you're laughing right now because you're shaking your head going like, preach it, brother. (laughs) I, I just hate to just sit around. I don't mind resting and I like to play guitar and I watch the Georgia Bulldogs and they play a football game and and that kind of stuff, and I listen to music, but I'll tell you what, except for stuff like that, 
I cannot just be a lazy person. It was never built into me. It's not baked in. And if it was baked into you, you need help. And I'm fixing to give it to you right here. <laughs> not only are we to, in living rapture ready to have a patient endurance, that spiritual attitude of just hanging in there, hold, hold, like William Wallace said, but we are to be characterized by a productive employment, a practical action. Prove that to me, Pastor Ed. Okay, buckle your chin strap, Bubba, because I'm about to prove it. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, let's go to verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught or, or nothing, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now, them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We are to not only be characterized with patient endurance, a spiritual attitude as we wait on the Lord, we just hang in there no matter how hard it gets, but we are to be characterized, and we just read it, by productive employment, by practical action. You see, as we're waiting, we are to be working. Now, I want to make an observation here. As I look around me in the city I live in currently, and I see the news and I read stuff, a lot of people have way too much time on their hands, while a lot of other people are working way too hard, it seems like, sometimes. Now, if anybody ever had a right to come to Thessalonica, start a church, and then kick back in his lazy boy with a glass of iced tea and take it easy while everybody else worked hard, 
and paid his way. If anybody in the Bible who was an apostle or disciple ever had a right to do that, Paul did. Absolutely, he could have done that and it probably would not have been wrong. And yet Paul says, hey, these people among you who say they're waiting on the Lord and they quit their jobs or they won't work anymore and they're just kind of hanging around and they're getting in everybody's business because they have too much time on their hands and, and yet, yet when work needs to be done, they're never anywhere to be found, but when the dinner bell rings, they're right at your elbow. He said, these people are wrong. And they're not following the example that I, Paul, set for you. Paul says, when we came there, we didn't, you know, we, if we ate with you, we paid our ways, what he's saying. We didn't take things from you. We paid our own way. I guess he worked at tin making some while he was there or something. I don't know what he did. Or they already had maybe funds from, from previous, previous work that Paul had done or uh, contributions from other churches or whatever. I don't know. What, whatever it was he did while he was there, he paid his own bill. Now, let me be clear. A, an, a, an elder, that is a pastor, a, an overseer, a bishop, a teacher of the word, Jesus says a, a laborer is worthy of his hire. There's nothing at all wrong taking care of the financial needs of those who are your pastors. That's, that is in the Bible. It's just there. Deal with it. Now, I think, though, sometimes pastors, especially those who've never had any other real job or career or profession, maybe they went to school and did some little side job, but they went to Bible college, seminary, graduated, and they took a church job. I remember when I was a pastor, the hardworking people in my churches would kid me about, hey, pastor, when are you going to get a real job? And I've said before that when you do the pastorate right, you work really hard. And some of those people kidding me, uh, they couldn't run with me two weeks straight in what I did because I worked hard as a pastor of the Lord. So I felt like, you know, at least I felt like that I earned every dollar that was, was given to me because I was doing this as unto the Lord to serve the people of Christ. I do fear as I look around that many, many people, many men who are in the ministry, or let's say a growing number of men in the ministry, and I feel like they're almost like pajama boys and mama boys. They just think it's like a cush, a cush gig or something. You know, it's hip, it's easy to do, anybody can do it, laid back, you know, Starbucks type ministry. I don't know where people get this from, but it's not in the Bible. And some of those folks maybe ought to do it part-time so they can work a real job so that they're more appreciative of how their churches take care of them. But that's just me, and I'm an old grumpy guy, all right? But, hey, if you're a pastor and you're listening to me, and it's you I'm talking to, change your ways, brother, because you're doing damage to the gospel of Christ. If you're being fully supported by the church where you are, man, you ought to give everything you should be given and then some. 
and gratitude for that support. But anyway, if anybody could command it, Paul could have. But yet when he went into Thessalonica, they didn't take from those people. They only gave the gospel to them. I remember a few months ago, someone reacted to my online ministry and they made a little snarky comment in the comment section about, uh, uh, are you willing to give up your tax-exempt status? And I typed back, yup, absolutely. Now, what I didn't tell them is I don't even have one of those. This is not a tax-exempt ministry. I do this on my own time. I pay for the podcast. Nobody's helping me with it. Whatever costs are associated with it come out of my pocket. Then why are you doing this, Pastor Ed? I love the Lord. I love his word and I love his people. And it it might not be worth much, but I'm giving it everything I've got. Amen? And I'm praying that there will be people in heaven who tell me that it was all worth it because somehow through this podcast, they heard about Jesus Christ got saved, and grew in the Lord. It'll all be worth it then, amen? Have you noticed that I've never asked any of you for one shiny dime, one copper penny, never asked for a single dollar? I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying that that's the same spirit and attitude Paul had when he brought the gospel to Thessalonica. So he said... All of you should follow our example. Everybody should be employed. They should work hard at what they do, eat their own food. And if anybody won't do that, you know, it's simple, a very simple thing. Mind your own business, do your own work, and eat your own food. Now, he says if somebody won't work, then they don't eat. That's kind of hard, Pastor Ed. What about the orphans and widows? You didn't listen carefully. I didn't say that there aren't people who can't work. I get that. I I completely understand that. And that's where their families and if necessary, the church can help them. But if you have people that are fully capable of working, they simply won't work then God has a solution for that. He says, that's cool. Then they won't eat. Now, you know what? That would solve this whole homeless problem. And I put quote marks around homeless. Again, I realize there's apparently rampant mental illness, a lot of issues there, and there's a lot of people who are in no shape to work now. I get that. But my point is, among that homeless, and put quote marks around that, among that population, there are plenty of people, able-bodied men, fully capable of working, they've just dropped out, and they expect other people to take care of them. I'm going to say something that's going to anger some of you who are listening, if you're from a so-called liberal Christian persuasion. We could end, and I'm saying this metaphorically, but metaphorically speaking, we could end the homeless problem by five o'clock tomorrow afternoon. If you're able to work and you will not offer a service, product, or benefit 
to the community, then we will not feed you. Pastor Ed, that is like Brutalville. What what does the word of God say right here? Now, this is aimed at Christians. So I'm not responsible for the world at large and what they do and don't do. But this would be a good principle to put in play. Do we help the the truly indigent, the sick, the needy? Yes. But we should not be aiding and abetting people who are fully capable of pulling their own weight. They are being irresponsible and they need to be confronted with reality. So Paul says here in verse 7, for yourselves, uh, let's go back to 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is very serious, the way he puts it. That you withdraw yourselves, that is stop, you know, separate yourselves, stop keeping company with. Withdraw yourselves from every brother. Now, so we're talking about Christians here. Every brother that walketh disorderly. That is a Greek word, taktos. And it means to, to be in order, arranged. And I, I think if you, uh, probably the word tactic comes from this word. I, would, I didn't look that up, but I would say it does. And so if you think of a military idea, they don't launch an attack in some random, you know, whatever may happen attack. They plan it with tactics, right? <laughs> There's a strategy there in battle. So he says that you would draw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, that is, one who is not orderly, who breaks the arrangement, and not after the tradition which he received of us. He says this, the brother should already know this, <coughs> excuse me, because we proclaim this. Verse 7, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. The word follows the idea of imitate, mimic. They are a, a pattern, a type to build our lives around, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. For yourself, know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. He says, hey, we were not disorderly. We didn't live that way among you. We didn't break the arrangement. We did what was right. We supported our own own way, and you should as well, he's telling them, and so should we. Verse 8, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day. Now, I guess they ministered in the day, and if they were making tents, maybe they made tents at night, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Can you imagine how that would hinder the gospel? If everywhere a missionary went, he started charging people for the message he was giving them by eating their food and, you know, wearing their clothes and everything they had worked hard for. Well, Paul didn't want that problem, so he supported his own way. Now, he had a right not to. You know, out at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, the Army has SEER school, and that stands for Survival, Evasion, resistance, and escape. Pilots who are shot down need this built into them. Soldiers need this built into them. Everybody 
who might be in a combat arms section of the military needs this built into them. Why? It could save their lives. Survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. That is, if they're shot down amongst the enemy or they're cut off and surrounded by the enemy, for example. But as I was thinking about that, I thought that, you know, some professing Christians seem to be graduates of seer school. <laughs> they, they're good at survival. They don't do any work. They're good at evasion. You can't find them when you need them to do work. They're good at resistance. They're very resistant to working. And they're good at escape. If work shows up, you can't find them. Seer school. <laughs> that should not characterize Christians. Christians, it should not be said of them that they're gold bricks. You know what a gold brick is? Something that looks useful and valuable, but then you find out, hey, it's completely useless. Do not be a gold brick if you name the name of Christ. And do not, as the Urban Dictionary says, don't be gold bricking, meaning do not be conducting yourself as a professing Christian a professing believer in Jesus is somebody who's always able to wiggle out of doing what you're supposed to be doing. Can I get a witness? You know, the Marine Corps has a good strategy. And I don't know if they say it this way, but this is what they're doing. If you want to change the world, who wants to change the world? I do. I want to change the world. Great. Start by making your bunk. When you get up every morning, start your day by making your bed before you leave your house. And then go do all the other things you should do wherever you're employed. So that I don't have a job, I'm out of a job, then you, you, you are employed. You know what your employment should be every day? Finding the job the Lord has for you. And you know what? An amazing thing will happen. If you're in a difficult situation, and yet you're doing your best to follow the Lord's leadership to the employment that he has for you, and other Christians can see that, you will be amazed at what they will do to help you through a difficult time. But if you just cash out, hit the lazy boy, and watch TV all day, and expect other people to take care of you when you are fully capable of taking care of yourself, then you deserve to feel embarrassed right now. And Paul said if they had any of these among them, which apparently they did, he said, hey, quit hanging with those folks. Let them feel the distance, the separation, and it should bring them to shame and bring them back around. Don't treat them like enemies, though. Treat them like a brother that you're trying to help. And that should be our attitude. So Paul says in verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, God built into us this thing called hunger. If somebody refuses to work, hunger kind of makes sure they won't do that very long. Because hunger, uh, I believe Proverbs, the book of Proverbs says, that hunger will drive a man. You know, it'll, it'll drive a man to say, boy, you know, I better get busy and earn a living so I can eat. That hunger is good. 
Verse 11, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. That is, they're not in order. They're breaking the arrangement. And how are they doing that? Working not at all, but are busy bodies. You know, it's said that an idle mind is the devil's workshop. And so if these people weren't working at all, they weren't doing any work, and maybe they said, but we're making robes and sitting on top of our house waiting for the Lord to come, but that's not what we're supposed to do. Working not at all, but at our busy bodies. You see that if you have too much time on your hands, you're going to start minding other people's business. And let me tell you, people don't like that. Nobody should like that. You should mind your own business, do your own work, and eat your own food. That's what you're to do. You know, slackers, they're, they're never there for work, but they're always there at the dinner bell. Nobody likes that. And if you name the name of Christ, that should not be characteristic of you. So some of you, maybe, possibly listening to this, need to repent and you need to change your ways and bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ if you're unemployed, make it your full-time employment to find the job has, the Lord has for you. If you are employed, be productively employed and bring honor on the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be the kind of person, if you can work, that will work where you're offering a service, a product, or some benefit that helps your community. And that's who you should breathe. That makes people think well of Christ and the gospel of Christ. But you'd be surprised how many times that a professing Christian is a horrible employee at work. Everybody at work knows it, even the lost people there. And they don't want to hear any more about the gospel of Christ because of the terrible example set by a few professing Christians. So Paul goes on here and he just, he nails this down, dead, solid, perfect. Now then, verse 12, now then that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. I, I know that Christians who are trying to do the right thing, who are working hard, sometimes you want to throw in the towel like, well, everybody else is getting away with it. Hey, don't do that. Be characterized by patient endurance, that spiritual attitude, and by productive employment, that practical action, which will bring honor and glory to Christ and will bless your life. Don't, don't stop doing what is right. Now, verse 14, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. I mean, this person who's living the wrong way, disorderly, won't work, and sponging off of others should start to feel a little alone and very ashamed and that should bring them around back to the right way. Because he says in verse 15, yet count him not as an enemy, 
but admonish him as a brother. Now, the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So Paul signed this in some way that would be an authenticator that this was an actual authentic letter from him as the Apostle Paul, and he wants them to be assured of that. I close with this. There is power in an ordered life. That is, just to put this in a, a, a way that hopefully will make sense, you know, you should go to bed at a reasonable time every night. You should get up early every day. Now, I'm not going to dictate what early is, but don't, don't sleep half the day away because you lay around in bed. Get up, spend time in the Word and in prayer with the Lord. You know, get ready for a great day. Go out. If you're going to work, give it everything you got. If you're going to school, be the best student there. If you're a homemaker, you know, be the best homemaker that ever ever hit planet earth give it everything you've got have an orderly life and there there simply is just power in an orderly disciplined life and this is what the lord is calling us to here right here and that's how we should be living rapture ready with a patient endurance and with productive employment and I know this was a surprising, surprising podcast ending for you. Because you would think if the Lord is about to come, you know, let's say Wednesday afternoon at three o'clock, what does it matter to go to work? Paul says, go to work. Do your best. Support yourself. Patiently endure and productively be employed. You know, we are, we are to be while we're waiting, we're to be working, and that brings great glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I don't want to be at work and miss the return of the Lord. I can assure you, I don't care where you are, if you're a believer in Christ, when Christ comes to his church, you will not be left behind if you're a true believer. Hey, listen, I'm glad you joined us in this podcast. If you have spiritual questions, how to become a Christian, how to grow in your faith in Christ, perhaps another spiritual question, you can call this number free, 888-537-8720. One more time, 888-537-8720. Call Eastern Time in the United States between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, and you will get free help for your spiritual questions. Please tell others about This Week in the Word. We're going to move to a new series next week. I'm not sure yet what it's going to be, but it'll be from the Word of God, so it'll be great. It'll be good. Amen. So thank you again for listening in. It's my privilege to share this with you. And I want you to live in the light of the Lord's return. Live rapture ready. Patiently endure and be productively employed. Amen? Amen. God bless you richly is my prayer.